Well, uh, greetings, everyone. Uh, thank you so much to your church fellowship and to your pastor for inviting uh, myself as a representative of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada to address your congregation this morning and to lead us into the word together. Uh, my name is Phil Wagler. I'm the N uh, North American Network Coordinator for the Peace and Reconciliation Network. And uh, it's a privilege to be with you in your church and to celebrate also the direction and the work that your church is doing as a people seeking to build the kingdom and engage with Jesus uh, in your city, in your community. And uh, so it's a privilege to join you in that. Uh, just by way of quick introduction, see the two logos up here. The Evangelical Fellowship of Canada, perhaps you've heard about it, uh, is the national association, the big family of evangelical Christians here in Canada. It's uh, one of 130 different national associations globally that make up the World Evangelical Alliance. So the EFC is like one member family in that larger extended family reunion that is the World Evangelical Alliance. Uh, so uh, you can find out more about the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada at evangelicalfellowship.ca. invite you to do that and uh, grateful for your participation in that. The Peace and Reconciliation Network is one way that the blessing of God and the, e, uh, the EFC's uh, directional statement, mission statement, is to unite evangelicals to bless Canada in the name of Jesus. And the Peace and Reconciliation Network is one of the ways in which that blessing is furthered in collaboration with initiatives globally. And uh, wea.peaceandreconciliation.net is where you can find out more about the Peace and Reconciliation Network. I'm going to refer to it as PRN. The PRN is four-year-old response to the reality that in this time in which we're living, the cultural and religious tensions, angry politics, injustice, power struggles, the exclusion of faith, these are still ripping our world apart and creating conflicts that destroy people. And Christians have always responded to these realities and in this day, the Evangelical Fellowship globally said we need to respond to this and the conviction that evangelical Christians must respond in this time as followers of Jesus, the Prince of Peace, who came and proclaimed that the Spirit of the Lord was upon him to bring good news to the poor. That was how he began his ministry in Luke chapter 4. And then Jesus would lay down his life and rise again, conquering the power of sin and death, disarming evil and bringing those who turn, repent, and receive the grace of God in Christ into the salvation and the peace of God. And in his body, Jesus became our peace, breaking down the dividing walls of hostility that divided Jews and Gentiles. And Paul summarized that so awesomely in Ephesians chapter 2. So, we must say then that if this Jesus Christ, if this is our Lord, if this is the King who has come, and if he's our shepherd who calls us into the fold of our Heavenly Father, then we must join him in his mission as people of shalom, God's wholeness, spiritual, physical, emotional, social, relational wholeness, and that we are gloriously about his work in the world. That's who you are as a local fellowship and the Peace and Reconciliation Network as part of the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada and the World Evangelical Alliance is about that work. And so that's why I'm with you today. Uh, my name again, Phil Wagler, uh, North American Network Coordinator, and I'm also a pastor of Kelowna Gospel Fellowship Church in Kelowna, BC. And so I'm a partner with you, fellow student of Jesus and his way, 
and let's dive in. You'll see a picture here on the screen. My kids and I were on a hike in the middle of nowhere in the Okanagan Valley near our home where I came across this sticker that was slapped on the back of a weathered kiosk and it said, humanity is not a virus. What's being said here anyway? In these pandemic days, it can be interpreted perhaps in many ways and I wondered who put it there and why and what are they trying to say? It was like a cry in the wilderness, quite literally, uh, of the human predicament that we're all feeling these days. It was, uh, it was one of the many voices of humanity that are crying out that there's a problem. Cultural tensions, and we're seeing that in the racism conversations and the disturbing things that are happening, angry politics and the scene in the news cycles that stir this every day, the injustices, you hear things about the journeys of migrant workers or the emerging question of who will get the vaccine first, will this be just? There's power struggles, the screaming protests and our friends in Lebanon bracing for what even the papers this week described as the potential civil war after a great tragedy. There's mistrust. Who can speak their mind? Who can you bubble with that won't make you sick? Who do you trust? Is humanity the problem? The person who slapped that sticker on where really only a few will find it was saying something. The world's broken. The nuclear fallout of sin and rebellion against our creator has marred us and made us a shadow of our intended purpose. We were made, are made, in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1, we're invited into the oneness of God as male and female from the very beginning to join our good God in his creative act of love. We were created to know him and be known by him, to be God's partners and stewards in the work of his creation. And while we can't get down into the weeds of all of that this morning, The biblical story is the story of the universe unraveling as a result of sin, particularly as it relates to the place of human beings in it and God's patient and purposeful acts in reconciling the world to himself. And following the incomprehensible mess created by the pride of the nations in Genesis chapter 11, God calls Abraham and Sarah to go where he sends with a promise to bless the nations through him. That's the story of Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, this great promise. One family responding in faith and righteousness will spark blessing in the brokenness. And the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada's mission statement and your church's mission statement is an echo of this call to be blessing. And from that one family, one nation, the Hebrews would uniquely be chosen and formed by God to embody the presence of God's nature and shalom, his wholeness purposes in sight of all the struggling nations. Israel herself would struggle and stumble, but the point was that the Jews were called to bless the world, be different among the nations, be formed by a way of life outside of themselves, the storefront of God's shalom kingdom among the shopping mall of the nations. For out of Israel would would come a savior for all, from the people whose worship was to be the one God, whose ethic and way of living was to be Yahweh's ways, whose living was to be precisely for those who were not like them, whose central holidays, like the Passover, 
were to reflect a hope of redemption and liberty from sin and its enslaving effects. From this nation would come a savior. Isaiah says in Israel's darkest hour when her own sin needed judging and the warring of the nations seemed impossible and unstoppable. Isaiah said that the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Every boot worn by the trampling warriors would become only worthwhile as fuel for the fire to heat your home and cook your food. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government, his dominion, the dominion and rulership of God would be on his shoulders, and he would bear a name, a title of identity and responsibility, wonderful counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, prince of peace. The increase of his dominion and shalom would have no borders. He would be a king without borders, and he would rule as the fulfillment of God's promises to King David with justice and righteousness forever. The promised Messiah would lead a borderless kingdom, a people who reflect the right judgment and right living of God himself. That's the vision of Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 to 7. The one creator God, in the face of evil and great brokenness of sin, called one family, one nation, to bring the world one savior for all people. This is grace, mystery, and joy for all. Good news of great joy for all people, as the angels sang to the shepherds outside Bethlehem. And this leads us back in Isaiah to a foundational vision for Israel and for we who have been grafted into God's work in history as Gentiles through faith in Jesus Christ, the King who has come to save us all. Have you ever been to a great mountain? Isaiah chapter 2 describes a wonderful and profound vision of hope, a hope of the mountain of the Lord. Listen to these words or follow along in your scriptures. Isaiah chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. In the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as chief among the nations. It will be raised above the hills and all nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. If you've ever driven from British Columbia to Alberta on the Yellowhead Highway, you'll have turned a bend toward Jasper, and up in front of you will rise Mount Robson. And that drive, of course, by the time you get there, has already been stunning. But when you turn the corner, stunning goes to a whole other level. Mount Robson rises above the rest and makes you stop and take a picture and wonder. You can hardly drive by that road without stopping at that moment. You just want to stay there and bask in the splendor. This is something like the vision of Isaiah chapter 2, and it's echoed as well in Micah chapter 4. The way of the Lord revealed to Israel and to be embodied in her life among the nations all of whom already had, were spectacular because they were, had one father to begin with, 
was to be like Mount Robson. The ways of the Lord revealed to Israel were to be precisely that which the conflicted and confused nations rally to. But, says Isaiah, this is not an ideal. It's precisely what God will do. Nations and peoples will flow to the law and the prophets fulfilled and say, take us with you. Teach us the ways that you have learned. We also want to walk in Yahweh's paths, for we're done with our conflicts, tired of our brokenness, without answers before the challenges of our days. And the promise is that a new way of living, a new standard of life will be possible and will beat our swords into plowshares to plant life, not take it. We'll lay down our swords that we have raised against one another. What a glorious vision. It just kind of makes you want to get up out of your seat. But embedded in the view that stops us in our tracks is also a sobering and a humbling call to Israel herself. O house of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. It's not enough, you see, to know about the Lord. Israel must walk in his ways, must embody the ways of Yahweh. In other words, she must practice what she preaches. Her chosenness is responsibility to be Mount Robson, not just talk about it. Now, this all leads us to black beauty. Yeah, that old children's novel written in 1877 about a horse and his groomers by Anna Sewell. Now, I've been reading it to my son. It's a, it's a wonderful read yet again. And it underscores humanity's need to steward creation and live justly and righteously with the Lord in mind through the eyes of a horse. And as the book moves towards its conclusion, the tension between humanity, creation, and the creator becomes more and more clear. Black Beauty is finally purchased as the book closes by a humble cab driver named Jerry who gives his horse and family rest on Sundays. He doesn't chase the allure of money, and he seeks to do justly and righteously in his very simple and small relationships. When he is mocked by fellow cab drivers and confronted with the reality that many churchgoers oppress cabbies, making them drive to ch them to church on Sundays and taking them away from their own families on the day of rest, and that they live unrighteous lives that don't reflect the good news that Jerry respond the good news that they actually go to church to hear about jerry responds with wisdom and humility religious people were the problem they were the virus that's what the other cab drivers are saying but jerry notes this if a person takes advantage of another person or doesn't pay his debts he is not religious he says i don't care how much he goes to church if some men are shams and humbugs, that does not make Christianity untrue. Real religion is the best and truest thing in the world and the only thing that can make a man really happy or make the world any better. It's a powerful quote in a children's book. The humble, simple Jerry had it figured out. He caught the vision of Mount Robson. His words echo James chapter 1, verse 27, that true religion isn't a creed, but a life lived. It looks after the orphan and the widow. It resists the pollution of the world. 
It is a life of the king. It is the way of shalom. It requires being made right with God, having sin dealt with, and it requires obedience in a people who walk in the light of the Lord. That, in these conflicted days, people continue to hunger for. And the fact that in these conflicted days, people continue to see religious people, the church, as a big part of the problem is a call to repentance for those of us who say that we know God. It's a call to surrender, to to change our ways because our churches must embody the way of the king, contend for truth, contend for unity, contend for compassion and justice and righteousness, for spiritual, emotional, physical, and social wholeness for human beings who are not a virus that we lament and repent, not simply strive to build the next great organization, but to be a great people, to be the people of the Lord who walk with the Lord, who know the love of God, the grace of God, the truth of God, the cross, resurrection, ascension, and the power of the Holy Spirit. This leads us to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. Paul writing to the Christians in Corinth who are trying to figure out what it means to be Jews and Gentiles together, what it means to come out of their past and histories as this people who are learning to walk toward the mountain of the Lord. Paul says this, all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. We come here. What is the all this that Paul is talking about. Well, the all this that is in Christ, God has made a way for Jews and Gentiles, sinners all, to be restored and reconciled as God's new creation. What was impossible on our own, the eradication of the effects of sin, has been accomplished in Jesus Christ. We can now see the world, our place in it as human beings, We can see one another rightly in the face of Jesus Christ. We even see our enemies in new ways. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lord. He is the wonderful counselor, the Prince of Peace. His kingdom will not end. He will teach us his new ways as the new humanity of the new creation. And all this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And he has given to us a gift this high call of the ministry of reconciliation. He has given to us the very work he accomplished in Christ. God, who reconciled the world to himself in Christ, now gifts to the church, the new household of God made up of repentant Jews and Gentiles, his work. We are to embody his reconciliation, to be about it, to be Mount Robson. And so come, let us walk in the light of the Lord because a great exchange has taken place. Now that's what reconciliation actually means. The Greek word is katalazo. It was originally used in the Greek world, in the ancient world, for the exchange of coins, for the currency of another reality being given to you. You exchanged one way of being an exchange with another way. We once lived and operated with a currency in this world, a way of exchange and living that was of one way, the way of the world. 
But now in Christ, God has made a great exchange. He has perfectly in Christ exchanged our sin for righteousness, our death for life, our despair for his joy and hope, our selfishness for his selflessness. We live the exchanged life reconciled. And we are a people of a new currency. We now carry this ministry. We now deal in the world with this new currency, this new exchange in the world. Humanity, you see, is not a virus. Human beings made whole in Christ and filled with the Spirit is the gift through whom God is now revealing his shalom in the world. That means you. We are to receive this gift. Have you? Have you as a church? Have you as an individual? And we are to be this gift. Are you? How are we to be this gift? Because this can all feel very, very daunting. Above and beyond and out of reach until we embrace the small and the local. Well, my wife and I have six kids. It's a busy place. Four of them are adopted. And our home can be a zoo sometimes. A couple weeks ago, she and I were talking about the complexities of what we were reading in the news. When lo and behold, in the back seat of our minivan, World War 33 broke out. Siblings bickering and fighting, proving that the world still needs reconciliation. And my bride and I looked at each other, rolled our eyes again. And we sought to bring order and we had to move stubborn kids toward forgiveness and embrace. And the truth is, we're pretty powerless to change Yemen, even Lebanon. And that there is a lot that can begin to change in this world if we start practicing this close to home. Perhaps peace in this world my wife and I said to one another that day, begins in teaching peace in a minivan. This picture that you'll see here is of my wife and our second oldest son on what's called the Bench of Reconciliation in Zaporozhye, Ukraine. It's quite a bench. It's designed as a piece of art to pull you together, even if the sun resists a little playfully. This is really the practical journey we are on as the people of God. The Spirit moves us toward one another. We must first move toward God our Father in Christ who came from heaven and dwelt among us. God has come from one side of the bench and pulled us who were on the other side toward this place of reconciliation. All this is from God who reconciled us to himself. And then, having been reconciled, we must move toward one another. Walking in the light of the Lord, we begin to live the vision of Isaiah chapter 2. Our way of being draws others to the center, who is Christ as our light shines before humanity, and they begin to praise our Father in heaven. Now, practically, we can think of this through the practices that missiologist Samuel Wells proposes. Human beings, you see, want to respond to the brokenness of the world. It's interesting, in days which we're living, whenever there's need, humans will respond. They want to be involved in healing. On one end of the bench in this world, however, is our desire to work for others, to do something for them to make their life better. And that's often well-intended, but often more about making us feel better and sometimes, on its darker side, about imposing our vision of the world on them. 
So we work for others. On the other end of the bench is our desire to be for others, to advocate and protest. This is the activism that cries out that something needs to change and somebody must do it. And so we repost and we like and we scream, but this too often is very detached, angry, and cold. Well, Samuel Wells suggests that we move from working for on the one end of the bench and being for on the other end of the bench to working with and being with. In other words, come to the center and enter the brokenness of the world as Jesus did in the Incarnation. Be with the pain of the world. Feel it. Smell it. It might be in the back seat. Know it. Lament it. Be confounded by the mess and how complicated it is. Be unsure of what to do. And then be called to prayer, relationship, holy obedience, holy surrender. The recognition that only in the mess might we cry out to God properly. And then work with those who you are among and given responsibility for. Join with those in the small corner of the planet that Jesus has sent you to. As the Father has sent me, he said to his disciples in Jerusalem, I'm sending you. Join the wounded. Walk with the tax collectors and sinners. Hear the cries of the mothers and the fathers. Join with the nations. Work with. Be with. I began to ask the Lord in my own neighborhood over these last number of months for relationships with people from the nations in my very Caucasian city. And then my neighbors invited me and our family to a birthday party for their daughter. And as I sat talking about politics and work and pandemic, the Lord just like opened my eyes. I was sitting with a Frenchman, a Quebecois, a Malaysian, a Filipino, and my family, my church, could be Mount Robson among the nations right here. I can come to the middle of the bench that God has made. I can work with and be with these people to whom God has sent me in my little corner. I am learning again. I'm awakening again to the great reconciling exchange. I've received an undeserved gift. I've been reconciled to God in Christ and now I can be the gift, receive from the Father his reconciling work. This is the call on the life of the believer. We are ambassadors of reconciliation. This is the call on your local church. So who are you being asked to be with and work with? How are you walking in the light of the Lord? You are the new humanity the new creation, Mount Robson among the nations, the reconciling bench in the midst of unreconciled cities and neighborhoods. You are not a virus for ill, but a contagion of the shalom of God in this conflicted world. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And may God be glorified in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations, forever and ever. Amen.